0: there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Why don't you follow me and I'll help you find a place to take that load off. The Chili Crew is just about to start. If you've been here before, well, welcome back. But if this is your first time, let me fill you in on how things work around here. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ, and it's our continuing prayer that everyone that walks through those doors grows a little closer to Jesus every day. And just let me say, you came at a great time, too. We're taking a weekly walk through the Bible, one story at a time, from Genesis to Revelation. And after this is all over, if you like what you heard, on the way out, there's a button called subscribe. It's red and it's got a little bell next to it. Oh, and tell your friends. Oh, 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 here we go. Here's a nice seat right up front for you. Now you sit down and get comfortable. I'd like to sit here and talk to you and get to know you better, but that was the dole. I got to go. Those youngsters would better get the lid out. This crowd's ready to go. I'll be right over there. Didn't realize the restaurant would be this busy today. I'm coming, I'm coming. Welcome, good. Order up. Alright
1: everyone, so we're gonna continue the story in Genesis. Basically, to sum up everything that's happened, this is this is the culmination of them all moving to Goshen. It sounds like Jacob or Israel, he's reaching the end of his days here. And uh, does anybody remember how old he was? Ooh, 100 and, 105 or
2: 110? I think like d- 110.
1: Old. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The days and years, are, this is uh, Genesis 47, verse 9. The days and the years of my pilgrimage are one hundred and thirty years. Few and evil are the days of my life have been, the life of my Ben and they have not attained to the days and the lives of the years of my fathers. So yeah, he's he's well over 130 by now. So he's reaching the end of his life. And so and we'll kind of get into this a little bit, but basically chapter 49, Jacob reaches out to all of his children Blesses or prophesies over them, and, and, and we'll kind of get into that as, as we go along. So, how about let's just jump in head first? Go ahead, Caleb.
2: All right. Jacob blesses his sons. When Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up under your father's bed, onto my couch and defiled it. Does
1: anybody remember that story? We did. It was several episodes ago. It was when I think it was when Joseph was in in Egypt. He like slept with his
3: concubine
1: or something. I mean, I'm sorry. He did. He's something absolutely terrible. He slept with his, his father's concubine, and it, it wasn't. Many people think, well, you know, it was just, well, yeah, he just, you know, wanted to sleep with somebody. But no, that was actually, back then, that was an assertion of power, is what that was. Because you slept with the head of that family's concubine meant that you were essentially asserting yourself as the, the head of the household kind of thing. Why would he say, unstable as water, Mind says, unstable as water, you shall not excel
4: not to actually have like too much um power or land or land or stuff like that due to uh just because of his uh his desire over the flesh so then he actually now has less power in the family status and also other things
3: well and Reuben he's the firstborn so as part of the normal firstborn inheritance he should be receiving the kind of headship and authority of really all of Israel like he should so his tribe should be that but because of this there's no you never see throughout the entire bible anyone from the tribe of Reuben ever having any sort of position of authority whether in their kind of government system or battle or war or anything like in their kind of small <laughs> as far as tribes go
1: poor poor reuben
2: so he basically was like well you, because you slept with my concubine now you don't get any more privilege
3: <laughs> right well like what justin said it's like because you you know kind of undermined my authority you tried to steal my authority when i was still here you're never gonna get it
1: yeah, at this point i guess it would be like a you're never gonna get any like no
5: power right yeah Seems like there's a prophetic aspect to his words here. When you look at how history went on from that, from that point, he was speaking from a place very authoritative and beyond the current situation and on to what life was going to look like, so to speak.
3: Um, we kind of skipped over in the first verse where it says i tell you what will befall you in the day like i think his version said like in the days to come but mine says in the latter days so there's yeah, kind my, of mine says in the last days so yeah in the cool. last days so there's there's actually three schools of thought on this um like a lot of people think that that means the time i mean because in the past what like or about a thousand years like after this blessing 10 of the 12 tribes all but Judah and benjamin were completely vanished so some people think, okay, well, these had to all have happened before, like when all the tribes still existed. Like, so they would have been sometime in those 10,000, like 1,000 years. But then there's also lots of prophecy about all of those tribes reemerging in the form of Ephraim, which we kind of talked about in the last episode. Then some people think these are literally the latter, latter, last days when all the tribes kind of are represented again. And there's the two houses back represented again, and the dry bones and the tree being reunited, you know, all those prophecies. And then the third school is that it's a little bit of both because prophecy is cyclical and it probably happens then before the tribes are dispersed and will happen again. Like it's kind of a constant thing. Ooh,
1: check, check this out. Okay. So 1 Chronicles 5, 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled... Man, this followed this guy's, like, all of the name of Reuben, you know. But because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. Yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph's, the son of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Wow. So this is all the way in Chronicles when it's talking about a lot of the genealogies and the families of the these kids. So like they, the Reuben was like you, I think you just mentioned that, Susanna, Reuben was basically like nothing.
3: Right. Well, in this verse in Chronicles, like it kind of lays out, and we talked about it a little bit last week when Ephraim and Manasseh through, you know, Joseph got the blessing and they got, so like there's always two parts to a firstborn's blessing. There's the first part, which is you get double portion, double the inheritance. And then the second part is that you get that kind of headship, leadership, ruler, authority. And so the only time that in the entire Bible that that firstborn blessing has been kind of split between two people is here, where Joseph, through his sons, gets the first part of the firstborn blessing, which is double inheritance. And then Judah gets the second part of the firstborn inheritance, which is the kind of leadership authority forever. Right. So, and that's very um, peculiar. And neither of them are actually the firstborn. So it's just kind of weird. <laughs>
2: Simeon and Levi are brothers, and their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel.
1: Wow. Okay, so if you have not listened to the episode, I would highly recommend going back. There's an entire, we call it the Dinah incident. It was a bad incident, nonetheless, but basically one of their sisters uh, was raped by a prince, and then they went in, and there was this whole story of convinced them to be circumcised, the whole town of men to be circumcised, and then later on, Simeon and Levi went in there, and while the men were still recuperating, uh, they went in there, and just slaughtered everybody. all the, All the men, I, I apologize, all the men were slaughtered, not the women and children, the women and children were actually taken into Israel. So like Israel actually basically adopted all the, all the women and children from there. Um, Is that the only reason why that this is brought up in this way? Or do you think that these two boys, Simeon and Levi were often like this? Like, does it sound like
2: they always like
4: that? (laughs) I was going to say, didn't they have a part in with the Joseph?
3: I think that was Reuben. And then it was,
1: well, no, Reuben tried to save him, remember?
4: Reuben came back and was like,
3: oh, hey, hey,
1: hey, don't, don't do this. And and he came back after they already sold him. They're like, hey, look, here's your share.
4: I like how the fact that it says Israel, too. So they actually scattered him across the actual Israel. Instead of actually, because it says Jacob, then it says Israel. So he's talking about the actual nation before it was a nation.
1: Well, it's funny because it says divided in Jacob, which was Israel, and, divi- and scatter them in Israel, which was Jacob. So it's, you know what I mean? So like, he's using both both connotations.
2: I I really like how he says, let me not join their assembly and like, let me not enter their council. He's like, I don't even want anything to do with them.
6: Okay, so here in the footnotes of my Bible here, it says 3425, it talks about them slaughtering the men of Shisham, their own descendants being scattered far and wide because of Dina's brothers. All three were children of Leah, that they killed every male. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that they were in general like that, but that was just a very big representation of them being angry and cruel.
3: Right. I think it's interesting, though, like as it says, yeah, in verse 7, I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So both of those things... Happened, But whereas like Simeon, he was dispersed and scattered. And I don't think his tribe got any inheritance of their own. Like, I think that their tribe was put uh, maybe in like
1: Judah's inheritance. Um, I thought Simeon was absorbed into Levi.
3: Not Levi, but Simeon was definitely, and it was the first one to be absorbed into just kind of everything. Like, and I think it even says some of the tribe of Simeon, like totally left Israel together when like went and joined Esau's descendants. They were the first one to become, like, non-existent. But then for Levi, like, they were dispersed in Jacob, and then they didn't have, or, you know, scattered in Israel. They also didn't get their own land of inheritance, but they had a city in, in every tribe. So they got a little bit of everything, and they kind of got the blessing. Like, they, they got the priesthood, which is always kind of portrayed as being a big blessing. So it's like, you know, Simeon was... Lost their identity and, you know, it was kind of extinct, whereas Levi's separation became like a holy separation.
1: You know? Yeah, because it's, it actually says that here. That's perfectly worded because it says uh, in Joshua 19, it says, the second lot came out of Simeon for the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. So, yeah, they they were. Like you you just said, they were just basically, you're going to be Judah's now.
3: (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine. His cult to ch- the choicest branch. He will wash garments in wine, his bl- robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk.
1: <sighs> okay, guys. <laughs> Somebody give a jump in on this because there's a lot. It talks about him being like a lion, it talks about a, a scepter, it talks about lawgiver, binding his donkey on. And the, uh, the donkey's colt and the choicest vine. I don't know about you guys, but this sounds re- a whole lot like prophetic symbolism.
6: I think it's interesting that the lion cub reference, because they do call Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah.
1: Perfect. And what did Jesus ride in on when, during his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what did he ride in on? Donkey. Donkey. Yeah, it was a colt. And, and, you know, it's, I just, I find that interesting. And then they, they also talk about, uh, when it comes to the vine, uh, Jesus, Jesus gave the reference of, we need to be grafted into the vine. And it just, some of these symbolisms are just so parallel to Jesus.
3: Right. Well, back up to, to, um, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So Judah was someone from the tribe of Judah it was always, in authority you know we have the big king david all the way to then jesus who came from judah and you know all power and authority was given to jesus and to him who shall be the obedience of the peoples
4: so the hand shall actually be around thy enemy's neck he was surrounded by jesus was actually surrounded by romans there was persecution through that and everything else so he was actually walking With all the other people around him and their Romans. That is actually one of the biggest things that I see.
6: I think of it as like he's literally saying you're going to pave the way for Jesus to come into this world in a sense. (laughs) But that answers the question of what he means by what will happen in the days to come. Because he's in a sense literally prophesying Jesus
5: there's a sense that it's a it's a yes and sort of situation whereas he he's speaking to current situation but there's a sense of prophetic speech to what he's saying and it's and you lose something when you try to approach it from drawing a hard line between the two when you realize there's implications for the current as well as for the two come
1: it's almost like a prophetic to come history, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah I don't know what that's. Oh, it's it's called a am profet- sorry, it's called a prophetic continuum. It's a prophecy that that's almost repetitive in someone's life or in a, a people's life, and it just keeps. You know, obviously it leads to Jesus, but like you're like you're saying with King David, and just there's more to it than just that hard line. I, ooh, that's good. What, what's with the whole washing your garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes, and these weird descriptions about um, eyes are darker than wine and the teeth whiter than milk. What what do you guys think about that one?
3: Yeah, I have no idea.
1: I, I don't know where to go with that either. I have weird. no idea.
3: The thing I could think of, maybe it was like his robes in the blood of grapes don't they talk about the grape press of wrath or something at the, in like revelation where
1: there is a symbolism, actually there is a symbolism of Je- Well, it's actually a, 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 it's a description of Jesus when he comes as a conqueror. The, the second time he comes, he comes as a conqueror. And one of the descriptions is he, he, he actually is wearing a cloak or a cape more like a cloak, but his cloak is actually, it says it's dipped in blood. So the, it's a, it's a, that's a, a fuzzy kind of parallel, but it's the same thing. It's his garments are, are dripping with blood. Um, but this says the blood of the grapes. Although I don't know, because Jesus did say, you know, when he, when he did the, the communion, he said, this is my blood, you know, that kind of symbolism with, with the grape juice.
2: Okay, so go ahead and read uh, verse 13. All right. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His borders will extend towards Sidon.
1: I didn't know when I read this, I didn't know where to go with this. Like I don't know the history of him. Of Zebulun, um, what did what did he do? Did he was he like just fisherman or something?
3: Well, yeah, so I guess it's kind of saying that like he's going to be like a merchant and a trader, which is kind of mm-hmm. what his tribe was. So it's it's basically just saying like you guys are going to be and that's just your tri- like these all end up becoming their like tribal identities and he was the the merchant and uh his you know the ancestors kind of had a lot to do with like literally just shipping and that whole industry for a long time so it seems really literal i feel like there might be some more less literal meaning behind it but
6: <laughs> it says in the footnotes of this bible um though landlocked by the tribes of asher and Manasseh, the descendants of zebulun were close enough to the mediterranean within 10 miles to feast on the abundance of the seas.
4: That's what I was thinking. They were going to be fishermen because that's normally the trade of the day, that and salt, especially during this time, because they still actually have the salt, the clear water salt. So it has so much abundance of salt. Oh, yeah, no, they would float. have had the
1: Dead Sea right in the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah. And they would have also had the Sea of Galilee. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, that's on the eastern side, but... So, yeah, it's probably just literal. <laughs> yeah. There's not much to say about this zebulin, zebulin, but you're going to be one fisherman there.
2: <laughs> I hope you like fish.
3: Right. I mean, I guess it seems kind of positive. You know, it's not anything yeah, bad. Not, yeah. <laughs> Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah.
5: If you're not a vegetarian. <laughs> There's a contextual element to this that would have made sense to the people originally reading this. That needs to be taken into consideration that I think speaks to the literal nature of what he's saying. Because for those that knew and those that were of the time, I think there are elements of this that would make complete and total sense, but don't make sense if you don't understand the context of what she was saying and the culture and timeframe in which he was talking about.
1: Also, I mean, can I also emphasize if, which I I don't doubt that many of these are probably have some prophetic element to it. The funny thing about prophecy is the people of the time will not understand them. Because that's the definition, like that's the point in prophecy. You're not supposed to understand it. The people that are in the middle of it are supposed to understand it. And it's supposed to be a warning to them for that time. You know, so even if there are prophetic elements in this, I almost feel like this is just a forerunner. Some of it, uh, maybe not all of it, but some of it is just a forerunner for like Joshua when he was splitting up the lands, you know, all, all the way in the book of Joshua, possibly, possibly. Uh,
5: when you look forward to Jesus and the, the apostles, they they thought that theirs were was the last generation. They thought yeah. that they would, the last generation, Jesus would come back during their lifetime. And it's interesting to note that every single generation has some kind of evidence of thinking that theirs is the last by some group of people.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, that's, what I, that's what I'm saying about prophecy. It's, it's, it's hard because you, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Jesus said it, I think, perfectly where he said, no man knows the day nor the hour. Only my father in heaven. What about that one street guy on the corner that says today is the end? Oh, the one with the sign over (laughs) there? Yeah. (laughs) That guy. That
2: guy. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulders to the burden and submit to forced labor. Ooh. Do they become slaves? I was just going to say that.
3: Yeah, I wonder if they were just um, twelve
2: thirty-two.
1: I'm gonna look that up.
3: You know, they were just content, but because it seems interesting, it seems like he's saying good things. Like you're, you're a strong donkey, which is actually kind of a compliment. And you saw that the resting place was good. The land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave. Huh.
6: So, the um, the King James version says. Um, that he was, that he saw that his rest was good and that the land was pleasant and he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. I don't know if that means anything different.
3: I feel like this is hard to like know what it means because there's really isn't a whole lot in scripture about Issachar at all. Like it doesn't really say that much about them. (laughs) So I don't know how to see like how this played out
1: Nope, I got I got nothing. I got nothing. I can't find anything on these guys. Like
2: that short, sweet to the point. I guess Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards.
1: Uh, Eighteen actually says, "I have waited for your salvation, O Lord." I don't know if that's connected to it or not.
3: Yeah, that one's interesting because it all seems really positive, too, maybe. Well, well
1: no, it says he's a serpent no. by the roadside. I mean, that doesn't right. sound really positive.
3: Okay, because the first part says he'll judge his people. He'll be, as yeah, he'll be a judge. Yeah. You know, one of the only descendants we really hear of from Dan is Samson, the really strong guy, and he was one of the 12 judges mentioned. So it's like literally, you know, maybe they were judges. But then later revelation, when it mentions the 12 tribes of Israel, Dan is just left out.
1: That he's, I know later on in, in scripture doesn't, isn't, isn't the tribe of Dan, one of the lost tribes because of something they did.
3: Right. But like, so was, so was Ephraim. So are all of them that are scattered, but like God always kind of, it's, it's very confusing because even though all of these tribes are scattered and were punished and. You know, to the point where God at first is like, I've you're gonna totally die out and never, you know, cease to exist. Like if you I think it's maybe Hosea where he's like going through this with Ephraim, but then he's like, Actually I could never do this to you. Like I promise you all that you are all gonna have an inheritance and and I've I love you and I've watched you grow up. I you know, held you by the hand as I've walked you through all these things. Like I can't just forget you forever so this is just for a time but then like at the very end in revelation like dan is just not there so it seems kind of weird because even though he may have been bad like it seems like he should still be back by then
6: it does talk about in terms of biting the horse's heels it says that samson did single-handedly hold the philistines at bay i don't know really what that means but
1: yeah, because Samson, well, it wasn't just a battle. It was many, many, many times. Oh, Samson, yeah. he he took on the Philistines literally single-handedly every single time. And he prevailed every time except for one. But that was when he was deceived and yada, yada, yada. whole uh, oh, another story for another time, kids.
0: <laughs> His story is not all that wonderful. Thanks for joining us, everyone. For the final installment of Blessings and Curses, you'll have to wait for next week. Now, as always, remember, you can find us on something called YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and a whole bunch of them other social media outlets. Just look up Biblical Chili. I promise you'll be able to find us. Oh, also don't forget to check out Joe's channel, BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Goodbye, everyone. Do you think they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most of them probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few. We love you.